0: Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. I spent 30 years in the police and I did a lot of interesting jobs during that time at many ranks. When I left the police, I wrote a book all about my experiences, the title of which, unsurprisingly, is Tango Juliet Foxtrot. But you'll need to read the book to understand what TJF stands for. This podcast is all about British policing the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you're interested in what policing's really like, this is definitely the podcast for you. In it, I interview lots of people who have done some amazing things in policing, and I also give you my thoughts on what's been going on in the news to help you understand how it all works, or doesn't work sometimes. Caution is advised, as some of the topics can be distressing, and there's some swearing from time to time. So, here we go. Folks, welcome to episode 64 of the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. This week, I'm going to be speaking to Tom Murray. Now, Tom uh, very kindly sent me quite a long and detailed email uh, quite a few weeks ago regarding not just his experiences in policing, but also his recent experiences as a uh, teacher mentor for direct entry new detectives uh, joining the Metropolitan Police, Uh, really made some really interesting observations, uh, you know, based on his own firsthand experience. And given all of the controversy around the police degree programme, which generated uh, a lot of comment on social media and LinkedIn to some of the, um, you know, there's a very divisive Kind of position that people have around the police degree program. Equally, there's also a very divisive um, response to the direct entry detective program, which runs along in parallel with that. So given that I know next to nothing or knew next to nothing about the direct entry detective program, I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to get someone on to talk to about that. And I had a fantastic conversation with Tom uh, where he talked a lot about his career, some really interesting stuff that he did over the years, as well as his experiences on the Direct Entry Detective programme. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. This week, I'm delighted to have Tom Murray on the podcast. Now, just to give you... uh, Welcome, Tom. Nice to have you along. Welcome.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: It's a real pleasure. And just to kind of explain um, how you happen to be here... You sent me a few weeks ago, I think it was, a really interesting email. Um, I get a lot of emails and messages via social media, as well as via the website and whatnot. Um, and you sent me uh, a fascinating email where you were giving your insights into quite a lot of things. Um, but the thing that really caught my eye was that for quite a while, you had been an investigative trainer training um some of the people who are coming in under the direct entry detective program so there's a lot of interest in the the good the bad and the ugly of police training and recruitment at the moment and i just thought it'd be really good to get you along to have a chat about that so happy with that
1: i'm indeed yeah thanks ian um and as you say i've 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 been involved in policing in one way or the other since the 1970s every decade so um i've had an opportunity i think to to see how things have changed, for uh, the good and the bad, as yeah, you yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my perspective is mainly within the CRD. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I only spent my first two years in uniform, um, and then the rest of my career has been basically as a detective or, as you say, coaching detective. In fact, the, lo- the last time I wore a uniform was the the day Princess Di and Charles got married.
0: Oh, bloody hell. You worked that
1: one out. We all got <laughs> put back. Was that, 80,
0: was that Was
1: that eighty-one? Was eighty-one? July to where we all got put back to uniform to so there. somewhere there'll be some long-haired, um, a very disgruntled uh, plain clothes officers back in uniform for the for the day, <laughs> um, and that's the last time I uniform. But I think I, I I've uh, you know I've got frailings and I've I've interacted with uniform, so I think I can speak to a point in uniform, yeah, yeah. but mainly CID.
0: Yeah, but the the thing that I really liked about what you put in your email, Tom, was the fact that you have maintained very close relationship with policing throughout that period. So so um, some people looking at your length of service might be tempted to sort of um, say, oh yeah, it's just another old dinosaur, hasn't got a clue what modern policing is all about. But that's not the case for you, because you do, because uh, you've maintained very close involvement in, in policing. And, uh, and not only that, if you don't mind me saying, I believe your wife's a police officer as well. Uh, well, retired,
1: yeah, she, she retired, just over a year ago, she was a detective superintendent at the counterterrorism unit in, in the Met. Right, okay.
0: So so by any definition, you've been immersed in in all of this for a very, very long time. So you're in a really good position to um, make a judgment as to what what has changed, uh, how it's changed, why it's changed, whether those changes are good, bad, or indifferent, I suppose, but uh, there's other stuff in your email which really caught my attention as well. So for a period of time after you left, uh, no, just go back a bit. You you had a bit a period of period time in anti-corruption, so it'd be really interesting to talk about that, um, as well as some of your other investigative stuff. Um, and then um, you went out to the British Virgin Islands and you worked out out there, uh, which which sounds fascinating. So, and you said in your email, I could write a book about just those years alone. So, yeah, in really interested in you know, just a thoroughly interesting career fascinating individuals so let's go so as I do let's go right back to start
1: so you joined what year did you join I joined in January 1977 right I was um fresh 18 and a half years old I'd um my father was in the RAF hmm. uh in fact and uh, but all my family from Belfast we're all, all from right, Northern okay. Ireland uh, family um and in fact my my dad tells the story told the story that uh uh, he applied for the RUC as it was then, and the RAF. And the letter for the raf came first. Right. <laughs> if if it would be the other way around, I may well have uh, mm-hmm. an accent very similar to yourself. Yeah,
0: yeah. But so your dad, just, your dad, your dad had a, a Belfast accent, did he?
1: All, all my family are. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of all Donegal Road, that sort of area, right. uh, Belfast. Yeah. So, um, and a few still over there. Right. Um, but as you appreciate, I was brought up. Uh, in England, right. Okay. Oh, a couple of years in Buenos So So, um, yeah. So I, I, um, I went to um, my, my father got uh, posted to a place called Annick in Northumberland,
0: right.
1: Famous for the Harry Potter castle. Well, way after my time. He then went to Cyprus, and I stayed in the boarding wing of the grammar school in Annick. Um, applied for universities. Um, uh, had offers to go to universities, but then I decided. Formal education is not fair. I've had enough of that, and I wanted to to get a job. And I'd always, I, I can't even think why, but when it started, I always wanted to be in the police. Yeah. So I applied, applied for the Met. I was told that was the the uh, the premier police. I had some family in London. Yeah. Um. So a little bit of a country bumpkin, um, mm-hmm. came down to Hendon Training School. Yeah. Um. And Hendon is is probably the first of my if it ain't broke, why fix it? Gripes, shall we yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, uh, I I really enjoyed Hendon, It was disciplined, and I felt that when I came out, you were to a point, yeah, yeah. Um, ready for the next step with yeah. PC. You felt yeah. like you were in the place. I'll come on to how that's changed.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I um, got posted to Canon Row,
0: Right, okay. Now, for those
1: people who don't know, Canada Alpha,
0: Alpha Delta,
1: is it? Alpha Delta. Right. It was um, Whitehall, Trafalgar Square, Buckingham Palace, Downing Street, not a lot else. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it was difficult, really, apart from things like traffic. You know, crime wasn't that yeah. really high. Um, you got the night duty posting at Christmas to to guard the Christmas tree that was a present from Norway. Oh, God. Yeah. Never got stolen on my watch. Um, and I was very, very lucky. I, uh, my inspector, um, and I, I very rarely use the word legend. My inspector was a guy called Alan Bertram, who some people listening to this will know. Um, he was a fantastic manager, a character, eccentric. But he really took people, myself and others, um, under his wing. And he really sort of guided me towards what was the crime squad, Right. Uh, which I suppose would be the modern TDC process. Yeah. Um, and I went on to that. <coughs> um, and then um, I became a DC um, right. with just under five years service. Right. Which was okay. about, about... Yeah, yeah. Quickly to do. And I got posted to Hackney.
0: Hackney, bloody hell. You couldn't get any more different than uh, Hackney and to, to yeah, Cannon, well, Cannon Road, could
1: you? I remember walking into the CRDF and it was a bit like the bar room scene from Star Wars. It was, <laughs> it was just full of cigarette cigarette smoke, <laughs> experienced character, shall we say. I mean the, the amount of CRD experience, special squad experience was unbelievable, you know. Um, and I was by far the youngest the Scrog um, arriving yeah. there. And whilst they left left you to your own devices to a point, there was always a safety net. They'd be there to yeah. if you got close to dropping in it or doing yeah. the wrong thing or whatever it is, they would always be there to guide you. Yeah. Uh, and a great learning time.
0: I mean, God, that was proper life on Mars then, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. And um, I mean, one of the big sort of talking points at the moment is about visiting uh, officers visiting burglaries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that was a, a given. You know, when I was at Hackney, the DC, you'd arrive late term, you'd give, be given 10 burglary robberies, you'd yeah. go out, you'd visit every single one, you'd see the victims, you'd very quickly. Um, prioritize, yeah, which ones have got maybe forensic mm. um, opportunities, witnesses, identifiable property. You do your your PR work, they want yeah. to see a detective. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about. And then you may well get the crime prevention officer, that sort of thing. So mm. we went to every single one, yeah. and that was 10, 10 in the late turn. you just go out and come back, yeah. finish and go to the pub. And that was that was your late turn uh, yeah. eventually. Um and so I grew up very quickly in that. Uh, yeah, and it was, I, um, can,
0: I can imagine, yeah.
1: It was manic. Um, and, and we bought boarded Stoke Newington. And Stoke Newington, if Hackney was was the Wild West, I'm not sure what Stoke Newington was. It was Wilder. <laughs> um, and I remember going on to a murder there. And, uh, they had a series of murders. And the exhibit officer, the exhibit officer on two different murders. And we were given actions, which is when they sort of send you out to do um, actions on things, on the wrong murder. He oh yeah, <laughs> had a, it had two shelves of, of um, exhibits for one murder, the second two shelves at the bottom for the other murder. Yeah. Oh, God.
0: Cross-contamination cross nightmare, isn't it? Uh,
1: one thing that has definitely changed is the way we deal with those sort of serious crimes. Murder is incredibly professional. So My wife was, was on a murder squad for quite some years. It really is, you know, although you have got the situation, as you know, if you're murdered, you get... 30 experienced detective day and night with everything else yeah yeah. if you survive you've got a tdc with six months service <laughs> and 25 right. other jobs I know. You
0: well it was always it. it was always the joke wasn't it that uh, if you were the early crew on the cid yeah. or if you were the um on call sio or whatever and you get dragged out of bed uh, to go and deal with a, a a something that had all the makings of a, of a murder um mm. albeit albeit the bloke was yeah you know, um, not dead yet. Um, and then, uh, you know, the joke was that he'd be, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, it was all like, he's touch and go, according to the medical <laughs> staff. And at nine o'clock the following morning, he sat up in bed eating his bloody shredded, shredded, oh, yeah. wheat, shredded wheat. And that's it. And, and off, and everybody goes, didn't they? And, and the, you know, the, the fact is that the, the person who did that to him is... You know it could, it's the difference between almost getting away with it and spending life in prison, isn't it?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and um, I remember Hackney taking a, a there's a guy, serious condition, uh, and you're going to take a dying declaration from him. Hmm. And um, a dying declaration obviously is when the person um, thinks they're going to die, um, and then you obviously that their last words can be used as evidence if you record them. And I remember saying to him, I said, um, I had to ask the question that you know, you die. He went, well, no, I don't think I'm going to die. And I felt like saying, a bit unkind to the hospital. You are in Hackney Hospital, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, was, it was just a, a, a fantastic place. And, and I grew up very quickly there. I yeah. spent a, couple, uh, a year and a half in Deptford in South London. Right. Um, again, a great... Uh, Deptford was a declared UDI against the rest of the, the, the Met, etc. It was there... Known about the deal, I ever visited it. It was a nice community. Um, and my second gripe, which I know we've brought up a lot, is the fact we've lost all those police stations, all yeah. those community police stations. It's all brigaded now. Yeah. Um, well, there's and no
0: relationship is a relationship. no, no. Embed, embedded relationship I mean, with the community, so. I
1: mean, it was a long time ago, but the Deptford CID Christmas party within the basement of Deptford Nick. I don't think that would happen now. But it was, definitely, you know, you felt that that community. Um, and everyone you knew everybody you knew lots of the criminals and they knew you yeah um, that's right It was interesting um they were very lucky i got selected to go into the regional crime squad um again eight broke why fix it the regional crime squad i thought was was an was excellent um sort of idea in so much that it was cross-border crime you dealt with any yeah. crime that came up and go anywhere in the country and yeah. i was very lucky to go on to again a team of really experienced
0: so just uh, for just for people listening who maybe aren't yeah. as familiar with the way things are done and the the structures i suppose is yeah. the regional crime squad would have been a kind of precursor um to the days where we then got uh the serious and organized crime agency soccer which then morphed into yeah. the national crime agency but this is
1: this is pre-soccer and pre-nca isn't it it is, yeah. And, and I, I wouldn't like to liken the, the, the original crime school with the NCA, but that's my No, idea. no, no. Um, it was very much you, you could do, you know, the sort of the crimes and you, and you would go anywhere. Um, and again, that, that sort of finished off my, I think, my all-round education in sexes. So it was a proactive side. We, we were dealing with surveillance, which I know you've been involved in, yeah. um, dealing with informants, serious crime, undercover officers. Um, and, it, and it really was, you know, for the first Three months. I didn't understand what was happening around me. You yeah, catch yeah. on, and it was a great learning curve. Yeah, they're
0: um, talking a different language, aren't they? Yeah,
1: yeah. Just and, out of uh,
0: curiosity, um, but given that you were working in sort of the South London area in that series, was that around the, the time when Kenny Noy became very infamous? Um, he, yeah, he uh, was uh, killed a killed and surveillance. John
1: Jordan, yeah, um, I, yeah. I was. Um, I was. Um, I think, I was certainly in South Wales, probably on the regional craft where that happened. Um, I knew, in fact, the the DC who was with him, um, he sort of found body with the guy that i worked with at Hackney, actually. Um, right. the, he was a flight squad officer. Um, and, yes, Kenny Noy was someone who came up on, on our sort of um, radar quite often.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was, yeah, it was um, sort of the middle to late 80s. Mm um things were different we we, we all used our, our own cars as surveillance okay oh yeah. what could possibly yeah. go wrong <laughs> uh, the mileage was very good but um it was you know um my mark five core that did a lot of miles uh, <laughs> it's
0: hard to believe isn't it yeah
1: but um, again it, it, i it sort of grew up there and and um, i'm still really f- close with that sort of team from yeah. that time um got my ds and um, i went to limehouse for, for about a year or so uh, and luckily um i managed to get back onto the regional craft called the ds now um, mm-hmm. down in, in south london um again just sort of finished off there i also went to notting hill which i've ground great ground, here a great area to work so in. you really uh, you worked in some of the busiest places yeah in. yeah notting hill was, was um there central drug squad uh central mm-hmm. london drug squad i worked at um And then when Ripper came in, the Regulation Investment Week Powers Act, Mm. which really brought legislation to um, the use of informants or chissies, as they're now called, as we all know know from television, Um, surveillance, undercover officers, Mm. it all brought, the first time really, that all brought legislation into those sort of areas of policing. And I was asked, I set up the first dedicated source unit at Scott Yard, um, post ripper
0: so was that um, let me tell you, was that was that under so 11
1: was it no SO seven so seven but right. it's crime so and we so had all the all the uh, you, you can imagine we had a flying squad and, and other uh, other sort of drug squads etc and we had to take all their informants it, it came the fact that no longer they run their own informants we ran them which right crippled a few people um, yeah 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 um but again i mean you know we we, we were sort of making that we went along with really, because it was a brand yeah. spanking new sort of um legislation mm-hmm. um
0: and a really busy two years so just a time stamp that was ripper two, 2000 yeah
1: 2000 yeah so yes. just as Ripper came in 2000 for about two years um i was on that dedicated source unit <laughs> yep. um and we ran some really really good informants mm-hmm. a really interesting time um, and then um Obviously, there was there was the, the accelerate promotion scheme.
0: Mm.
1: In the Met. I, I was on the decelerate promotion scheme. I was sort of <laughs> slowly building my way up there. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Although, in fact, I'd um, when I was, when I got made so when, when I got past the sergeant's exam, if you ca- I came in the top ten competitive exam, um, you could apply to, to, to be to do the accelerate promotion scheme. Right, um, and um, I um, jokingly applied. And very quickly, they looked at my CV and went, Don't bother. Yeah, I wasn't the sort of person. You're not. um,
0: There's no point trying to take your brain out and wash it under a cold tap, is there?
1: uh, No, no. I I had about six or seven years too much service for them um, and had been uh, been a detective for too long for them to uh, to scrub that out of me. Um, So I got through. uh, Osprey, I don't know if we were involved in Osprey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, um, yeah, The, the joys. The yeah. of my
1: life. Um, the only good thing about Osprey is that the, um, as you may know, the Hot, hot Further film. Yeah. It's based in Sanford, That's um, right. Yeah. It was the fictional town that the Osprey scenario, which was a promotion practical, um, which I thought was a nice in joke. Yeah.
0: The, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I mean I, God, you could, you could do so many podcasts just on police promotion processes. Mm alone couldn't you um and but certainly the osprey the osprey system was um so for those who are listening who are not from the in the police no. or from the police background so osprey part one was the sergeant the old school old style sergeant's exam or inspector's yeah. exam which was basically multi-choice hundreds of multi-choice questions you needed to learn the stuff literally word perfect didn't you
1: yeah
0: um and then osprey part two was as we used to call it let's pretend wasn't it so uh yeah so there's was very good walk around oh, yeah. various various stations staffed by uh stooges, well, role players, and you would yeah. have
1: to... Well, I had four attendants at Gulf Brain, so I took the inspector exam twice. Yeah. <laughs> I eventually got it and um obviously it was in line to be a DI. I got a phone call from from an old friend of mine who was a superintendent at uh, the anti-corruption command. Right. Um now the anti-corruption command was never really um posting that uh, sort of roughy tufty detectives Mm. went for um but things were changing and a year or two before that there'd been quite a lot of um well publicized corruption investigations they brought in more and more um experienced detectives and i was asked to come and run a a proactive team on the anti-corruption command Mm -hmm. really because the guy that asked me was was a top guy and i trusted him yeah um i yeah okay uh, um that's interesting, and we again um I was able to build my own team, bring yeah. more experienced detectives in um and it was a very interesting four, so, four years of my life
0: so this is um was that uh the old cib b three was it
1: um yeah I, I think it just it probably cib three just as I went there or maybe just before it became the ACC, the anti corrupt Fund, but CRB three in the old money, yes. Right, okay. Um, and um,
0: yeah. So, so what was it? What were your sort of thoughts, experiences around that role? Because it's obviously become a very um, high-profile issue for policing. Not, not maybe the old-style, you know. Brown envelopes stuffed with cash it's been exchanged in pub car parks with bent detectives but it's obviously the, the nature of what we would what has now been called corruption in the police has somewhat changed hasn't it so um, where you're describing I think days where it was probably a more traditional definition of corruption would that be fair to say
1: yes yes I think we were probably coming to the end of, of systematic team corruption right yeah um and there's more lone wolves um that would we, that do this and, and getting corrupted but we also spent a lot of time going after the corruptors the criminals right and we had uh, and we worked for other police services as well we worked for a neighboring police service who had um uh a couple of detectives who they were convinced were in the pocket of a, a drugs dealer mm-hmm. um and we did a covert operation for those and the rest of the DS, the drugs dealing with drugs and everything else. That, that aspect, and that was a bit old, sort of probably for that police service, that's probably sort of five years behind what or six years behind what the Met was doing. Um yeah. the majority of my jobs were tended to be one of one person, yeah. Right. Um for instance, we had um a very experienced DC, a well-liked DC. I, I, I didn't know him personally, but I knew lots of people he did who was on this sort of one of these sort of um specialist operations where he virtually on his own he was right. doing a debrief of somebody yeah. he was on his own no management no supervision mm. he had an unmarked police car mm. at his own disposal um and he was also running an informant yeah. with very little management at all mm. um, and it obviously we got the intelligence that he had and a corrupt relationship with that informant. Um, and we were able to establish that yes, he was meeting this, they'd become friends, yeah. Yeah, social friends. He'd um, really sort of gone over the edge. No one was stopping him, no one was supervising him. Mm. The, um, for instance, he was the, the, the unmarked police car he had, he was teaching his girlfriend to drive in that car. Oh, God. Yeah, which was just a tip of the ice cream. And then eventually, um, we caught him and his 17-year-old son selling drugs on behalf of the informant. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: so, so interesting, um, just to think about the motivations um, for, for these people. Um, are we saying that most of the time, in, the, in, that, in that model of corruption, that the motivation is primarily financial? Or are there other motivations going on?
1: Well, um, I think it's just that the lines get blurred yeah right. and there's probably two or three occasions where um, just that line between the the police officer and the criminal has just become blurred and nobody's stopping it Nobody sort of saying hold on a second they weren't following the rules and regulations around meeting informants uh, etc and they get blurred and they're left to their own devices i think also they probably Feel a little bit, um, uh, especially this DC, I think he just felt he'd been left and he wasn't being supported by anybody and he was just drifting along. Um, And he just felt that, you know, the job was getting away from him and he just got in with this guy. Um, We actually did, um, this has been done before, when he got sentenced to, I think he got two years in prison. Um, When he came out, he agreed to be interviewed and uh about his experiences how, yeah. how it happened why why he became um corrupt basically, and that was i think probably for a good few years afterwards was played to the um shears handling courses, yeah part of that thing yeah but i mean after i mean he was interviewed, there's a guy called neil Putnam at d c yeah I've heard um, him, yeah he he got and it well well, I my the air, so, yeah. um, he had done the same thing although it was on a the VHS then um, and if I used to play well I used to go to attended training school to do lectures on corruption we'd play his uh, interview about how he got involved I'll come on to a bit of that later but um, um and he, he came in but afterwards we went for a drink you know like, it was literally a cup of coffee in the hotel we did the interview. If, if you'd walked in um, you just thought he was a DC on the team. He'd all sort of gone back into character, yeah. um, etc. So, um, uh, and, and we did, you know, quite a few of those sort of jobs um, where people were. Yes, financial, I think, came into it. You know, um, but probably not not his main motive.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? It's a uh, dr- I mean, drugs. In my, in my, I, I haven't got a background in anti corruption. Um, you know, I had, I had, I sort of touched. You know, on cases where like one of my DCs uh, many years ago uh, turned out that he had something of a drug habit. And uh, this was after I'd gone off on promotion to inspector and this was all going on shortly after I left. But clearly it was probably going on while I was there as well. But I just wasn't aware of it um, and had got in with a a bad crowd and then was eventually, um, I believe, arrested um for using stolen credit cards yeah. um you know and when they searched his address they find a load of stolen gear and drugs and all sorts of stuff and and that's a very strange feeling you know when you know that you've been working quite closely with someone yeah. and you didn't know any of that you, they're, they're effectively leading a double life aren't they um
1: yeah.
0: and you do question yourself and you sort of say well should yeah. i have known that but you know if someone's coming to work every day and they're doing a good job and he wasn't really good he was a really good detective um, and I had no, no clue, you know, and it's, no. uh, but it's very disconcerting it's... whenever you realise that that stuff's been going on, you know. Uh,
1: yes. Um, I mean, and, and I go back to Neil Putnam. Um, funny enough, the, the regional crown squad I, I was on the first time around as a DC, um, all, all, virtually all the players left, they all got promoted, moved on to other squads, etc. And within a year, the whole personnel had changed. And within another year of that, a massive corruption issue arose. They were um, stealing drugs. They were having um, improper relationships with the female informant. Uh, there was lots and lots of things. And it's supervision.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was going to be my next question, but you've got yeah. to beat me to it.
1: It's, it's and it's, this is my worry for, for, for what's happening now. Um, not so much maybe this sort of corruption, but it, what can happen is. So, so, one of the officers will do something mildly out of order, not, not nothing too much, but it just may be a bit unprofessional, just something wrong. In my day, the DS would come, you know, and give you a proverbial clip around the ear don't do that. Yeah, and you knew he stood, but no one was doing that, so then that became the norm. Then he moved on to something else, and they moved towards that line between right and wrong. Mm. They're over that line, look, I can't even see the line anymore, and they are full-on corrupt police officers. Yeah. And, that is, and if we sort of jump forward to, and I don't know the details, so I'm, I'm speaking a little bit generically here, but some of the, the, the issues or scandals, if you want to call them that, have happened in the last few years, yeah, there must be a level of poor supervision involved, yeah? A uh, um, level, level of what, sorry? Poor supervision. I mean, or, poor or, 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 or no supervision, because yeah. if we take the sort of the, the WhatsApp groups and those sort of things, yeah. that, that doesn't happen overnight. Those people just don't get, all get together and decide we're going to have that attitude.
0: Yeah. They'll
1: say things and do things in a more open forum first. Yeah. And as the old phrase, I'll paraphrase it, bring it up to the 21st century, um, for evil to exist, all it takes is good people to do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is very much, I think, what's happening because yeah. there, there must have been yeah. some yeah. opportunity to so. say. Yeah.
0: Well, I I had a similar I had a similar sort of situation many, many years ago when I was a relatively newly promoted sergeant. I think I'd only been a sergeant about a year. Um, and I walked into uh, one of the uh, the crew room or whatever one day before briefing, and they were all gathered around one of the lads' mobile phones. And this is in a day when mobile phones weren't as sophisticated yes. as as they as they are today um but one of the one of the pcs had a picture on his phone of a girl he was obviously in a sexual relationship with and i think she was wearing his police helmet or something like that
1: yeah
0: and um i don't think it was any you know it's not it was it was i think she was scantily dressed or something like that and i took him i took him into the sergeant's office and sat down and said right um you know give me show me what else is on your phone and that was the only thing And uh, I said, right, if I ever if I ever see anything like that again, you are going to be disciplined. You know what I mean? And and he was really apologetic. He was really embarrassed. The thing is, these are young lads, aren't they? He was probably only what, 20, 21, 22, something like that. He obviously thought it was a bit of a laugh. And I said, you know, that that, you know, it's it's exactly what you say. I think sergeants need particularly sergeants need to be really vigilant for this stuff, don't they?
1: Yeah, and and um, again, sort of jumping forward a bit, that experience and credibility is going fast mm. of, of sergeants and even even inspectors, because um, you haven't got that. Well, you know, I mean, when I was a DC, all my DSs were experienced characters who who basically, if they if they saw you do something out of order, they would tell you straight away. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, and they managed you as well. Um, so I think that's that's a it's, a it's a big problem. And um yeah the anti corruption was um I, I really enjoyed it because yeah, um, you basically we, we dealt with some really good class criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, and also um if you're a DI or I was an acting DCI for quite some time, if you if you ask for an interview with the chief superintendent, you always get it. They always want to speak to you because they want to know what's happening, yeah. yeah. Um and and also you 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 Peel away levels of management in so much that I, um, as an acting DCI, we had to go and get certain authorities done by ACPO officers. Yeah? Yeah. And sometimes it would be the deputy commissioner. And where else would you be in a situation where you're sitting in the room, basically mm. yeah, as a DLI, an acting DCI, mm. and across there is a deputy commissioner and a staff officer and nobody else?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the access is—it's a bit like the counterterrorism world where you can find yeah. yourself as a, as a DC or a DS um, in a meeting yeah. and briefing, briefing somebody of yeah. commander level, and they're and they're actually
1: yeah. deadly interested yeah. in what you have to say. And just on, on that note, I know that very recently they've said they're, they're now putting, I think, a hundred detectives back into anti-corruption and professional standards. Mm. Probably looking at slightly different things that we were 20 years ago. Um, but you know, as, as we always do, they're reinventing the wheel. Yeah. And as the police tend to do, they take their foot off the pedal when they think they've sold something. They move on to something else, hmm. and then are quite surprised when fifteen years later the same thing happens again. You know, yeah. there wasn't that well, constant thing. You know. Well, like, I
0: think this. I think this operation uplift um, it, it has potentially posed. So that's the uh, plan to get to 20,000 officers into the organization to to replace the 20,000 lost under Theresa May. Um, I think that poses a real, real risk reputation to the organization because from all accounts, um, and I don't want to say anything that's disrespectful to the vast majority of of excellent candidates and excellent recruits who are coming into the service, I've got no doubt. But without any shadow of a doubt, there will be a significant number of people who have been placed there by organized crime groups, or for that matter, terrorist oh, organizations. Um, probably probably less likely from a terrorism point of view, um, but certainly organized crime will have their people in there, won't they?
1: I think so, and, and all people that will be easily corruptible, i.e. I, they will be in that community. Um, mm-hmm. And had that sort of pressure put on them um, yeah. at the time. And of course, now um, you know, thirty years ago, um, information was hard to come by. With sensitive information now, touch with a couple of buttons, yeah. and you've got a lot of intelligence yeah. around around the met and around the country. So um, yeah. it is a worry. Um, the, the, the the corruption, as I said, I don't think, um, and I might be proved wrong in my around but that's systematically the, the old-style corruption of the mm. 60s 70s 80s yeah, yeah where whole squads were corrupt and etc the way i look at it now, it's unlikely um yeah. the officers aren't, aren't exposed to that um i mean obviously in my day the masons was, was a big issue yeah you're either a mason or you weren't um yeah
0: So that's an interesting, that's an interesting one. We haven't talked about that on the podcast at all, um, but it's definitely worth just touching on. So I'm not, just to put my cards on the table, I'm not not, and I never have been uh, in the Masons. Uh, It was always a subject of, and there's a reason for that, was because my dad was heavily involved in the Masons and I spent most of my uh, youth and early years taking the piss out of him about it. And um, I just thought it was a, a ridiculous idea of grown men you know getting together and, and dressing up and um but but it has been a real blight on policing hasn't it
1: it has i mean i um for instance when i arrived at hackney it was very split down almost down the middle you're either a mason or you weren't yeah um and i in truth i was a police officer and i played rugby i did not need another reason to go on the piss yeah i was quite <laughs> happy with those two um and, and and you know I, I even even a sort of young service I made my sort of you know sort of disdain for it um, quite clear in that I didn't understand why police officers needed to join, um, and of course and, and for, for within that anti-corruption unit we had at least one job where you had a, a detective in the same lodge as mm. a very serious career criminal, mm. Mm. and that can't be healthy. No. Yeah, at all, and I know if you go back far enough, um, there's, there's even more examples of that. I think I, I, I must admit the subject has not come out in the four and a half years I was an investigative coach. I didn't think sense to be discussed once. So I, I very much really. doubt whether, the,
0: but I think if, I think there I think the influence, the Masonic influence, was more about uh, getting a leg up from yeah. your mit, from your mates well, for all. a particular job or for a promotion. Or for for entry into a department that was seen as being a, you know, a a sexy place to work or whatever. So it was more. I think it was more insidious, probably, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, you're right. And and I think I'm I'm not sure when it really started to to um, sort of die down. But certainly now, I I might be wrong in it. I mean, might be sort of incredibly sort of uh, secret about it. But I don't think the sort of people that are now within the organisation, certainly at junior level, are those that would. Yeah. Going to no the, i
0: think it was a thing of its time i mean it's become yeah, a well, bit of a it would be a bit of an embarrassment now for a young you know 20 yeah. something i mean why why would you want to do it? i just don't see that as being an issue today i don't know no i mean, don't. It, you know? No. it's probably there's, there's probably other things actually that have replaced it and i've i've made this point before that um certain groups of um i mean i'll give you an example um in my uh in i've i've seen examples of certain groups of women, for example, in the police. No, and I'm not saying this as, a, as an anti-woman thing. I'm just making a point that there are certain groups of women who have a particular common characteristic, for example, who will behave in a very similar way to the way that the kind of Masonic or maybe rugby playing or whatever, whatever the group identity was for men... Mm many years ago that would have excluded people from the group i've seen i've seen your groups of police women behaving like that and yeah. you know as i say that's not an anti-woman thing it's a, it's a statement of fact and uh, there was one group that used to be referred jokingly as the masonettes you know because <laughs> <laughs> because it was kind of if you upset one you upset them all and and they would you know uh, get together and ostracize people in a way that men would have done maybe 20 years ago. So it's a weird sort of a weird kind of thing going on.
1: Yes. Uh, and, and one, one of the, the things that has definitely changed when I came back and certainly with the direct entrance process is how many all females are on the job. Mm, mm. Quite right. Um, I think disproportionate, i say, well, probably, I don't know, you know 60, 70% of, of the direct entrants were, we were we getting a whole... Groups arriving and they're all female, yeah. Mm. And it's probably a really good reason. I think some of them just didn't fancy the uniform side and yeah. joined the, the police,
0: but
1: didn't want to do that side. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it's um, it's difficult to say, but it has definitely definitely brought yeah. in a lot more. Yeah, well, I think they're more empowered. I think more empowered and um, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I think I think the point the point I'm making, maybe in a rather yeah. clumsy way, but the point I'm making is that group dynamics for motivated yep. motivated motivated for whatever reason um are unhealthy yes. and kind of that group think uh, where you are part of a club and if you're not in that club then you are going to be treated badly by those yep. who are in the club uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're a mason or whether you're a uh, a, mem- a member of a of, of a female football team or a member of a men's rugby club or a golf club or whatever it is it's just not right. And people should be given the same opportunities regardless of, of their, you know, affiliations, I suppose. Totally right. Absolutely right. Anyway, moving, uh, moving along. So, um, okay. So, uh, so after,
1: after anti-corruption, where did you go after that? Well, I, I had 29 years service, and I got the offer to go on the flying squad of the day on. Um, I, I've had the offer a few years before, but it didn't suit my, my personal sense. I was going through a, a, a marital breakup, um, but I thought, why not? Flying squad. Um, so and I had every intention of staying on after the 30. Um, and it was fantastic. It was everything you think of. Really yeah. professional people. I mean, my wow. I was I was a referee. All these DSs were coming with all these great jobs. To, and I had to choose which one are we gonna do. Yeah. Um, and it was it was really um a really a really great time and, and I was very lucky. Um there's a thing in, in the, the job called a pavement job. Yeah. yeah. Pavement yeah. job is where you basically arrest robbers going over the pavement to, to a bank. And that's really where you get your credibility. If you ever had a pavement job, yeah. and I got one very early on. Um, mm. I ran a job and um, they went into a bank. It's only about 200 yards more office, believe it or not. Um, mm. They went into a bank and all the rest did, and that was great. And I was, I was quite happy. Um, I had, by that time, remarried, had a two-year-old. So I was married to Claire, had yeah. a two-year-old, and one on the way. And I, you know this feeling, don't you? Like, being a, <laughs> like,
0: like you and I have lived a parallel life because I did yeah, exactly, yeah. I did exactly the same.
1: So um, Claire, my wife, was, um, I said, dear, I'm the murder squad. Um, and I came home one day. i just got my 30 years in, uh, but I was, I was happy where I was. And she had a you know, police review, the magazine, which I'm not sure she this now. It's all yeah. online. So. And she said, what about this job? And it was a job in the Caribbean, the British Virgin Islands. I looked at it, the DCI, I looked at all the specs. I said, what well, can do that? Yeah, that, that, that yeah, that's really fits, fits me. Um, now, I come from good Irish stock. Yeah. Mm. Um, anything more than a 60-watt bulb bulb in the light bulb, I'll burn. Yeah? <laughs> I've never been in the Caribbean before, but my wife she wanted a, a bit of a career break sort of raise the kids a little bit have a bit of time off etc yeah. um and so i applied and i found myself a few months later in the british Virgin islands which is an overseas territory a bit like um uh cayman islands yeah um, it was not a series of islands thirty thousand population i was the dci the only uk guy at the time i was in charge of anything outside the main CRD, so Proactive, Intelligence, murders. Right.
0: So 30,000 inhabitants, you say? Inhabitants,
1: spread, mainly on the main island of Tortola, but it was spread over about three or four other inhabited islands, but it was quite, you know, right up towards Puerto Rico and, and Antigua.
0: Right, OK. So never, fairly, never been before. before. It was a bit of a drug trafficking route, kind of?
1: Very much so, drug trafficking. They were done... Um, the two main, there were sort of three ways to, to traffic your drugs. You either secreted them in a yacht, because BVI is a massive yachting community, um, so you, and then on, and onto the US version of which is only half an hour away, you into America, so they secrete them within the yacht, um, they drop them by airplane in big secured bales of cocaine mm-hmm. into the Caribbean, just off the island, um, or they'd have these cigarette boats, and they'd just... Basically, they would not stop them They just r- race up from the South of the Caribbean, from South America, right. and just hopefully outrun everybody and then drop the drugs off. So we were, you know, I mean, 150 kilos at a time. It was just nonsense, oh, you know, and God. I had half a dozen people. That's the sort of jobs where you'd have, a, you know, a whole squad of yeah, about 30,
0: 40 people. Yeah, like satellites and everything
1: working. Um And... When I got there, I inherited 13 unsolved murders as an SIO that had happened in the recent years. Um, and that was my one week. I hadn't done murders for quite some time, um, not since I was a DS and, and went before murder squads. Um, ironically, my wife, the DI, sitting at home, knew all about murders. She was at home. But I just sort of... Uh, <laughs> just as well. I was going quite discreetly sometimes. Um,
0: like Miss, Miss Marple.
1: Yeah, and then we then we were getting probably about an average of six murders a year for thirty thousand people. Quite a lot. Yes, quite a lot. Mainly shootings, mainly criminal related, drugs related.
0: Um, So just taking a step back, when you first arrived, I mean, it must have been a hell of a culture shock, was it?
1: It was, and and, uh, I I'll say this: you know, you've worked in UK policing, where especially in the Met, where you've got all the bells and whistles, haven't you? You've got all the staff. And you arrive there and I've got about 10, 12 people to deal with all these different crimes. And I really appreciate the fact that they were keen, they were great people, keen dedicated. Were they all local people? Um, No, the vast majority were from other islands in the Caribbean. Right. So they would come over to, the BVI is quite a rich, I think, of the financial Mm. side of it. and so they would recruit the vast majority were people from Jamaica, Barbados, Antigua.
0: Right.
1: Uh, those are the places. They'd come over and they'd get citizenship within the BVI. Because um, the locals, in truth, didn't want to police themselves. It was, it was very much a very small community.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and the belongers, as they were called, um, didn't really want to police people because everybody knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably about four surnames on the island sort of thing. Everyone, you know, it was quite a close-knit sort of yeah. um, community. I met, how, many um, other,
0: how many other Brits were there
1: working with you? No, just me. You were it? You were it. Sorry. Oh, yeah, there's, sorry. There's always been. There was um, a tradition um, of one UK officer at DCI level, normally. Mm. Um, I think my predecessor was seconded, but I obviously went there. I, I retired from the Met went there locally employed. Um and it had been sort of succession, but um I very quickly realized that that you know there was all these murders, there was lots of things happening, we we're trying to reorganize one, one of my first jobs, they'd just passed legislation to bring in um audio recording of interviews. which is wow. how far 2007
0: yeah. Right.
1: Now one of my predecessors at some stage, probably back in the eight of nineties, they'd said to me, What about this placing criminal evidence act? No, you don't want to do that, you don't want that. Yeah. So yeah. And side <laughs> like that, they didn't have any. So, was it British British law? Was it exactly? The it was same. well. It was British law up to I think it was sixty seven. Then they got their own government, premier, and they were allowed to make their own laws or adopt UK laws. So they sort right. of spit at that point, yeah. Right. So, so they had lots of old UK laws. They adopted some, but pace, please remember the Act had had sort of passed them by. Shall we say? Right. So it's still all contemporaneous notes, which I remembered from my, my young days in the D.C. And um, the, the, the legislation was a very small paragraph within another a, a, a bigger piece of legislation. And all it said, something to the effect of, all confessions must be audio recorded. Right. I went, well, how do you know they can confess until they interview? Yeah, yeah exactly. So we, we could, we could them that that means all interviews. Yeah, so... Um, I then we had one mobile cassette recording device on the island which we started to use and then I was able to uh, get the funds and we actually put in actually video and audio in about four locations Mm -hmm. yeah and then we had to train everybody up in because obviously they had no experience of audio recordings and I remember doing the first couple and both the, the, the suspect and the lawyer just looked at me and go, "What are you doing? What's, what's this for?" As he turned the tape on in the end. Um, and I had to train everybody within the within the, the force. They still called it forcing. Um, and it was interesting because I remember twenty five years before sitting in the room yeah. when Pace first came in, saying, "This will never work." You know,
0: yeah.
1: recording interviews and they will say anything. And what they, they what a lot of people forget is that. Um, you don't interview people really for confessions. Yeah. yeah. Very rarely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You ever? You're too good for me, officer. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. You're trying to um, get them to, to prove to prove they're lying. Yeah. Get their story out. Prevent defences along the line coming out, etc. Those yeah. sort of things, tie them down. Yeah. And that was something I had to talk for talk. but the training was, was was amazing. Um. And some of the questions you you, you think right, like, what question to ask? So I got asked, "Can I take my gun into the interview?" I "Said best you don't, best you don't." "Can I still intimidate the suspect?" So that's that's why we're bringing this in."
0: I, "Can I turn the tip off and give them a good slap and then turn the <laughs> tip back on again?"
1: And "The best one, and it flops me." "This," um, she said, "Can I stand behind the suspect when I interview them?" <laughs> "Okay, why would you do that?" And she said, "Well." On CSI Miami, they always do that, and he always confesses. it. <laughs> no one else. So, oh, but God. I had a great five years. Um, it must have but, been. Um,
0: I mean, I'm sure it must have been nice from a family point of view yeah, to yeah. To, I be, mean, to be living in such a beautiful location. And...
1: But for the family, you know, what beach we're we going to go to with the biggest decision of the day, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, wow. But it, um, what? And I, I really appreciate it. Um, about policing with, with, with all, not all the tools there. yeah, And they were great. And I, I eventually got another seven UK offices. We're having murders in law, um, proactive drugs, things. And I got, on a two-year secondment, I got seven other offices. One to run the murder, the DI, uh, one for intelligence, one for proactive, et cetera, one for financial. The financial DS, this is 2008, on a two-year contract, I think he finally retired last year yeah really? so he, he, he just kept doing his contracts most of gone there um but it was it was a, an interesting sort of five years of my my life Brilliant. I, I loved it
0: i'm conscious of the time because i'm really oh, get, i really want to and that's fine it's fascinating and again you could do a podcast oh. just on on that alone couldn't you but okay what, I, what, what i'm really keen to get into is your experience of training the wow. new police detectives under the um, direct entry detective scheme. Is that so? So, so, yeah. um, I, I had a my most recent podcast was with Ron Winch, who's a senior uh teaching fellow at Birmingham City University, involved in the teaching of new uh, recruits to uniform policing, um, as well as a postgraduate program for ex- established cops. Um, so you are the first person that we've spoken to who can talk with knowledge and experience yeah. of the direct entry detective scheme yeah. which, which has been in the same way that the uh degree program for uniform for for uniform officers has been very divisive issue for police kind of past and present um so has the direct entry detective program it's it's been and and to be fair you know and i put my, I'll, I'll say it up front i know I could tell you what I know about the direct entry detector program on the back of a Fag packet. So, I need you to edu- educate me about how it works.
1: Let me flip it. There are many senior officers in the Met who've got that same level of understanding. Um, yeah. So, I came back from from the BBI in two thousand twelve. Uh I did some private work. I set my own business up. Two thousand eighteen, I was asked them to go back, and they, they were starting this. And it's an investigative coach, and they're very, very conscious that you're a coach. You're not a trainer. You're not a assessor. You're a coach. And it was in line with the first direct entry DCs coming out, or TDCs coming out from Hendon at the time. But Hendon and Cup were the two places that they trained. Um, and they were
0: so. Just, just to backtrack, what, what's that? So these are people who are not going to be uniform officers at any stage. Yeah they're going to come out and they're going to be trained to be detectives and they're going to go straight into being a detective without any of that sort of uniform time that we would have all taken for granted. Yeah, okay.
1: Yes, it was. um, Now I was, like like most people would be, I was very sceptical of this process. You know, very old school in so much that, you know, um, goodness me, when I was a PC trying to get into the CID, there was a whole queue of people and you very rarely got it on the first occasion. So when I got there, I realised that, Uniforms just weren't applied to be to coming to the CID, to come to DC. So that's probably for another podcast, um, yeah. another time, because they just weren't. You know, we were getting dribbles of people, and very quickly,
0: And nobody wanted leveled... to come from uniform and to, to be a detective. No. no. Right. Okay. And, and um, do, you want to, do you want to just just pause on that? Why do you think? Why do you think that was? Um,
1: I think one is. Um, I think they saw the, the CRD as just too much pressure and work. Um, a lot of their um, exposure was with, with safeguarding. Mm-hmm. I know you talk in your book mm-hmm. about safeguarding, etc. There are levels of safeguarding. I mean, you've got uh, sexual offences. Mm-hmm. You've got um, child abuse. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the domestic abuse. You have got the husband and wife are throwing a, a remote control at each other. Yeah. Uh, and the zero tolerance. So there was an awful lot of of low level, I'm not to cry, I'm not sort of saying it's, it's not um, to them, but stuff that we were doing really was a relationship breakup. There was mental health, but yeah. the police were being asked to arrest them, interview them, deal with them. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons they just felt, you know, in the caseload, you know, yeah. the uniform could walk away at the end of the day. Um, and I don't think that there was, there was it was that attractive to them. Um, so I thought, okay, I arrived, I met the first four um, and they were um, obviously uni- university educated. Um, mm. One had been a civilian investigator in another, in another police service yeah, for a mm-hmm. few years. The rest were fresh out of university or having had jobs.
0: So they were sort of what, early twenties?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, 20. Okay. And I think majority, I mean, there are, there are some older ones that came through, but I thought, okay, stopgap, fine. And we were there to support them. Yeah, mm-hmm. We very quickly realised that they weren't going to support the level of DSs support. There were no experienced DCs on a team that I had who could support them. So we were there really to sort of guide them through and help them through that process so when you when
0: you when they came to you so to speak or you were allocated as a, a, co- a new yeah. co- cohort um were they already uh they'd already been posted to their operational sort of yeah. F- role yeah okay
1: they've done they've done some obviously Hendon. they came out at uh, various times at Hinden, and we put them through sort of various things they would have time with crd time with safeguarding time with burglary squad Type of uniform, that sort of thing, for a week, maybe a week. Um, and coach patrols, they were called. Then they would come to us, they'd get posted to, and I was southwest. Mm. And southwest is the four boroughs, which is Wandsworth, Merton, Kingston, and somewhere, isn't there? Richmond, is it? Richmond. It's a massive area, yeah. Mm. Um, they would get posted there, and they would then go to safeguarding or the CID, or possibly the burglaries team. Mm. And then we would be allocated. And there were a number of coaches at that time. There were three of us. Um, and we'd be allocated maybe one or two of those. But they were coming every month. right? And very quickly, I realised that this is just going to continue. They're carrying on. yeah. And they very quickly, within not, not long, six months, they became the majority of the TDCs going through the process. Right. Um, and I would, what I'll say is, I, I, all the ones I, I support and dealt with, lots of respect, lots of warmth for great people. Yeah. Enjoy the job for all the right reasons. I think some of the unrealistic things they were told. Yeah. Yeah. I see the adverts and they're all going to be leading a murder squad within six months. That's their. Oh, God. Um, they should really have um, adverts where they're sitting, and doing some paperwork or they're interviewing somebody for throwing that. Um, Remote control around all the sort of things and mundane things because they get yeah. there and they can't work out why am I doing this sort of why, stuff?
0: Why am I? It's not what I expected.
1: Yeah. And very quickly they flooded out. And, and in fact, I I only finished about six weeks ago and I think they've got 15 or 20 coming out every month or six weeks to, to Southwest alone. Yeah. Really? Gosh. And they're down to about three, two or three coaches. Yeah. Right. And, and the coaches and a great bunch where I was um, worked and they really supported them frustrated because we well, had no just describe
0: just describe what you were actually doing with them then
1: t- so, t- typically what how did it work right so they had um they are basically to evidence various aspects of investigations yeah through their crime report through their investigations and through some um practical work like um um interviewing um dealing with a um, sort of um, particular types of crime, a sex and offence, um, a GBH, those sort of things. And they had to gain uh, sort of evidence that they dealt with those crimes in a particular way. So we would help them, support them, to basically know what how to investigate those crimes in, in a blunt way. And mm-hmm. we would sort of put them in and we would also try, for instance, if someone was struggling to get uh, a victim interview, we would try and ask around and try and get them to get that interview and the, and the VRI, the video recorded interviews they have now for, for many witnesses. Um, and we were there really as a backup support. Uh, we worked as a supervisor um, and we were sort of quite often doing the job of them coming to us saying, what do I do now, what do I do? But we worked with them on a daily basis. We'd have right. meetings with them, et cetera, to help them get through this process. <laughs> and we also were able to do some... Um, meetings with them and talk about some of the things that they couldn't evidence like things like some of the the um the covert side the proactive side um Mm. and then also we would go to court with them to evidence the fact that they'd gone to court and give evidence um i'll come to court in a minute but those sort of things so they were coming out so i probably had 20 25 um of these and i'd meet Mm. them regularly support them and hopefully keep them on track because obviously they were trying to do their day job. Yeah also trying to evidence this this um, process. And are um, they
0: um, just out of curiosity are they also required to do a degree the way that other police oh, officers
1: they have to no they have to come in with a degree.
0: Right so they have to already have a degree. They
1: have a degree um, I'll, I'll mention that in a second if you've got time. Yeah um, of course. and they had to do the, the national investigators exam on Whilst also doing all this stuff, which is which is a, a, um, a written exam, multiple choice exam, they've got to pass to get to the next stage as well. So they, would, they would, is, it,
0: is it still called ICIDP? Is it? No, it's
1: NIE, the National oh, right. Investigated Exam.
0: All oh, right, Cam. Okay. Um, which is um,
1: yeah, they've got to learn that and they've got to they've got to do that as they're carrying on with all the other stuff. Right. So we were trying, you know, and I, my background, i sort of helped them to uh, understand things like. Um, informants, uh, practice stuff, etc., and, and some yeah. of the other bits of serious organised crime. Um but they were coming out in their droves and they're now they're now probably 80% of the TCs. And,
0: and were your and were your uh, fellow coaches numbers growing to to accommodate to give the others the same level of support, I suppose?
1: No. Um and also they they started to bring in assessors so so in fact where I was there were five coaches at one stage i think they're now down to two and they've probably got a hundred oh, tdcs God. to come oh
0: forget it forget it they,
1: yeah. they've got they've got adverts out at the moment and they they're struggling to get them all all one all one were and here we have probably five five coaches we probably had 150 years service yeah yeah? yeah but yeah. didn't really have much to say in in, in how things were going yeah. that was the di of the ds
0: what was your what was your sense about the way that they were being um supported or not uh by the local i mean obviously it's it's a general it's a you know, generalizations uh aside um were they made to the feel part of the local cid team or was there a sense of them and us between no, as well-established rail detectives and the new the new breed
1: I think if, if they arrived at Hackney four years ago, it would have been a different matter. But they were arriving and they were understrength. Most of the officers, safeguarding, CL officers were understrength. Um, the first probably two, two cohorts, the first couple of months, they were strange creatures. Yeah. We've never seen one leave before. Um, but very quickly, they realised that they're another pair of hands. Yeah. As long as they're keen, they're willing to work they were very accepted very quickly. And of course, they're now the norm and the majority. Now, if you walk into that sealed office, I walked into the, the barroom scene from Star Wars actually forty years ago, you walk into an office now, the average length of service in the will probably be about a year, maximum. Oh my,
0: oh my God.
1: Um, the DS might have a few more, but not much more. Um, they're all down, they're all on computers. Lots and lots of stuff is done by phone by email. Yeah. You know, statements are taken on the phone, that sort of thing, because they just can't get around to everything. And it's it's changing. what, what so but the process is all around, I think, making them able investigators, not detectives. Yeah. Because yes, you can investigate the crime, et cetera, but to become a detective, it's it's just something, it's quite an intangible thing. Yeah. Yeah? You learn from more experienced people and you grow. And it's not something you can go to a classroom and teach them to be a detective, I think. You teach them yes. to investigate things. You yes. teach them legislation. But that's that's being lost. So yeah. these two things... Seas-
0: but it's worth pointing out that the, the context behind all of this um, is that there is a massive Nash for people who are listening who are, are not aware of this. Yes. So how, there, there is and has been massive national shortage of detectives hasn't yeah. it so i don't know what the numbers are but the last time i looked it was about seven to eight thousand yeah. vacant detective posts nationally um so uh, and again in order to set the context here this is another long slow burning impact of the loss of yeah. resources under Theresa may isn't it back in from 2010 the only reason this has never been the case before has it the Only reason we're in this case of having to fast track kind of pretty much anyone who wants to do the job into these roles is because of the loss of all of those people over that period of yeah. time,
1: isn't it? Absolutely. Um and, and the numbers are, you know they'll make the numbers, yeah. But if you look at that, if if you've got a hundred detectives on your borough, whatever it is, yeah, but 85 of them have got less than two years service or even one year service then you've got a problem
0: we've got a massive problem and yeah. and that and it completely <laughs> explains it completely yeah. explains why the the the, yeah. r- the charge and detection rate is has gone through the floor yeah. doesn't it
1: yeah and, and they've got no no one to you know they've really the only dcs on a team yeah are virtually all they're all the, the direct entry tdcs who have now become dcs so that's you know it is to a certain and i don't blame them yeah, point, not somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, and with politicians and with with senior officers at some stage, um, something's gone wrong over a period of time and we find ourselves in a situation where um, there's no, if you go to say where I was in the Southwest, there's no one who a DC who's been on a squad who's come back to to impart their knowledge. They stay away, they'll still stay away They'll squad, home, as they, as they call it.
0: And yeah. never come back so you never yeah. get
1: back to that thing um,
0: so that frontline local volume yeah. crime response for either yeah. traditional types of crime like assaults and burglaries yeah. and robberies and vehicle crime or safeguarding type yeah. of crimes the domestic abuse the child abuse the experience yeah. just isn't there is it No,
1: and, and i you know i can't stress enough how i, I really think they'll be let down, because they're great people.
0: I actually feel really sorry for them, Tom. Yeah. Really sorry yeah. for them. But,
1: but things like the training, they go to universities now. Um, and my theory is a residential course is something which bonds you together. And, and you know, my initial CID, um, my initial training, my 10-week CID course, which it was then, residential, mm-hmm. and my DSS course, which was four weeks, residential. And you bond, mm-hmm. you learn a lot, and, and they really sort of do, you know, you make friends for a life. Um, and you, you know, I think they really, really help you. Now the universities are coming out; so they're doing their X number of weeks, fifteen weeks, or whatever it is, might be short sure of that. And they're coming onto to the stations as TDCs from training, mm. as effectively members of the public.
0: Oh my god!
1: They've done a bit of training here and there, um, but they're not. They don't feel, and, and they they say, "You ask them, what did you learn at university?" Nothing that we did at Hendon or, or other training establishments in the country. Um so so that's a problem. Um the thing is it's, a, a little... it's
0: incredibly stressful. I mean, I I you know we've yeah. both been we've both been detectives, and uh, you 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 more so than me in terms of you know the range and breadth of investigations you've been involved in. Um, I probably spent half of my career um mm-hmm. in in some form of investigative role. But you know and I know how unbelievably stressful it is yes. even when you've got all of those years of experience um, uh, and and, the, and I regularly saw colleagues who were very experienced police officers 10, 12 plus years really really struggling sometimes with their workload and their mental yes. health and people having um, you know hitting the bottle and all of these kind of things, marriage is breaking down. All of these signs yes. signs that things are not good, um, and that's people who've got the benefit of many years of of experience. So yes. God only knows how stressful it must be for people who it, don't. It is,
1: care. and, and, and they, their support is, is low. And, and and you know, myself and the other coaches were doing a lot more than possibly we we know we, we were um, paid to do because you you're filling in the void for for or DI. I mean, I had. TDC, a young direct entry. I asked him, "Who's your DI?" I'm not sure. How can we not show who your DI is? (laughs) You know, that's dismaying. But the other thing is, obviously, the degree thing. We've talked about that. I've got no idea. We're we're missing out on on such a large proportion of Londoners who haven't got a degree. So why are we? You know, they're great, really great detectives, a lot of them. Um, well, it was
0: interesting on the news the other day, wasn't there, this, uh, this uh, suggestion that something like 16 police and crime commissioners have, have co-authored a uh, letter to the Home Secretary yeah. saying that, that uh, she needs to um, review the, the the requirement for people to have a degree. But what was really striking about that, when that was initially reported, it was, it was reported as 16 police chiefs. And I was thinking shit 16 chief constables have of yeah. of find the backbone to actually do that but it wasn't police it wasn't the
1: chief constables was it it was no, no. turkey vote <laughs> for christmas that is um, but um yeah and and um we, we are putting and also some of these going tdc so six months operationally in the C they're putting them on to things like the child abuse and the sex and offenses team madness yeah oh my god madness yeah because we've got no one else to go on it but um yeah, court, yeah. yeah, now, as a PC, uh, et cetera, and, and as a DC, I was going to court two or three times a week, mm. yeah? And you very quickly become, you know, confident, competent, and you become a professional witness. One of the, the pieces of evidence that these teachers have to do is go to court and give evidence. Mm. That was the hardest thing to give because no one seems to go to court anymore. There's, there's there's some reason for that. I think body cam footage cuts out a lot of people. They they have to plead be guilty because the body cam uh CPS may not Well be. well
0: the charge the charge the charge rate is so low that so the hardly tar- is yeah. surprising. People aren't going to court.
1: Um, and you know I've got TDCs who a year, eighteen months into it still have not given evidence to court. Oh my god. You
0: know?
1: So the first time they give evidence to court may well be, yes yeah, standing the old Bailey, yeah, yeah, yeah. in front of Michael Mansfield, or are Um And it's just, they're no longer professional. And a lot of them are worried, scared, frightened about going to court, they'll say.
0: And, and you know what? They've got every reason to be, Tom, haven't yeah. they? Because they're going to get, <laughs>
1: they're going to get ripped well, up for
0: our paper, aren't they, a lot you, of them? Reports,
1: you've got to go through that. You've got to go through that magistrate thing where the magistrate tears you up and gives you a hard time, you know, in a in a lower matter. Um, and court was, you know, again... I could write volumes on the the, the fun I've had at court and 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 the, the stories that come out of court you know mm-hmm. yeah. um et cetera um I know we're running out of time here
0: that's um, all right no that's
1: fine we're not no rush yeah really uh, my my i I obviously had the offer to stay on a bit longer another couple of years, but you know getting very old now, I needed to retire for about the fourth time um, Yeah. And I just couldn't. Well, I, you're, looking, I, I, you're looking good on it, can I say? Yeah, I'm looking good for radio. <laughs> um, and I think all my concerns here, I spoke to senior officers about before I left, um, and I got some. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, and I just think that people are looking at thinking well, we're getting detectives in, we're not. Um, we're really putting too much pressure on these people. Um, yeah. Is the
0: attrition rate, I imagine the attrition rate um, must be very high? It is, or is in it, some,
1: some boroughs. Some of the inner boroughs, I think, a lot more. We, we Surprisingly less than I thought there would be. But right. I know there are a lot of unhappy people um, mm. who are very stressed. You know, I've had people in tears uh, yeah. quite often. Um, and they're looking around for some support. Now, there are some really good managers. There are some really good DSs. But they tend to, you look at normal. Oh, you're actually you're going to sit in an interview you're going to actually do your job yeah um yeah. those are sort the of things but they are a 40 and there's there any there's no service level now so you can be a tdc and six months later you can be a ds virtually oh, it's God. yeah there's no there's no sort of level there etc and that's putting too much pressure you know I like think I'm Well,
0: going going back to all of those things that we were talking about before, about the importance of supervision in terms of identifying and stopping corruption and unacceptable mm-hmm. behaviours early before little things become big things, um, there, there's that's potentially a real risk as well, isn't it? I suppose
1: it is, and, and also um, I mean one of the things that, that happened is um, we're, we're not pushing. Them at all. So, for instance, postmortems. Um, pre, this is pre-COVID. I'm not sure they've, they've carried on post-COVID. Pre-COVID, one of the things we do is we'd, we'd get the group and we'd go to a mortuary and then witness a postmortem,
0: hmm.
1: or at least a witness it. Yeah, witness a postmortem. Um, but then we give the option: if you don't want to go, if you don't feel you want to go, you don't have to go.
0: Oh, that's like saying. That's like saying if you if you don't feel like going to a sudden death or a or a, hang, or a hanging, you don't have to go. Well, okay. So who is going to go then? Well, what if what if nobody
1: wants to go? You I know. know. My, my my wife would be the first to tell me. I, I, I don't like bloody like, guts and things. But you know. Oh, well, who does? As a DC, as a DC well, there are two. But there DC. <laughs> as a DC. You know, I remember going to a post mortem, and Ian West, who was a very famous pathologist.
0: Yeah.
1: At Westminster Maltary. I was a young acting DC exhibit officer, and um, we talk about gallows humour for the police. Um, he was a pathologist, and he's got his his saw um, out, yeah, doing doing this skull officer. What did this man do for a living? Yeah, I said he was a dentist. He said, um, God, "I couldn't do that job, you know, looking at people's mouths all day. Ask he's <laughs> doing this post Um but you had to, you know, I, I didn't yeah. do it, but he went along and you sat there, but." To give them the option now. If someone had a bereavement in the family recently, then yes, okay, come back another time. But yeah, yeah, but you can't say sorry. You're, gonna,
0: you're not going to avoid it forever, are you?
1: And, and this is sort of some of the things we're getting to. I, I, there is a balance, you know. Hmm. In the in the seventies, you know, there was some bullying. Definitely, there was some sort of um, overbearing behaviour. But I think also, you know, you've got you've got to give them a little bit of a oomph about them.
0: Yeah, no, it, definitely. T- and that's yeah. the whole thing, isn't it? I mean,
1: that's, yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose it, the question is the job fucked. Uh, I'll finish on that one. Um, <laughs> well, of course it is, because, you know,
0: it always has been.
1: My first day at Camden Rome as a Rome PC, the store's guy was an ex PC, probably joined in the 40s. Mm. First thing he said to me, job <laughs> fucked. Don't know why you're joining. Mm. So for every generation there will be that, and we look back at it and the house in the Halcyon days. Um it's not because I, I think the people inside it are still there, but we're veering towards the cliff, fortunately. Yeah. yeah One of yeah. the big I mean, um, I don't know the new commissioner, deputy commissioner never worked with them. Um, mm. I know people I have. I think they missed the trick. I think I think what we needed was was a really credible um commission the Met. Um John Stevens, like somebody mm-hmm. with credibility, somebody a copper first and a politician second, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. to build a bit of credibility back. Mm-hmm. The politicians were never going to vote for that, were they? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I think, that's what they. They, they suddenly get old of it. The, the chief constable of Greater Manchester, whose name escapes me, Stephen Watson.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's, he's made
1: some interesting comments yeah. about the basics about uniform. I know you, in your book. Yeah. Um, well, I did. I took advantage of that, that very, very good offer on Amazon, by the way,
0: so yeah. I had to read your
1: book. <laughs> and my wife then told me she was just about to buy the book for, for Christmas,
0: but right. you missed out
1: on that one. <laughs> um, a uniform, you know, um, going to burglary, that sort of thing. And that, that's the sort of thing that some of these come out and really, you know, and John Stevens, yeah. you were probably worked. In yeah, job, yeah, right yeah, there. no, I, I remember him well, yeah. Yeah, those are the people. Cressida, Cressida was my boss. Yeah. for the last three or four years of my career in the Met, um, I've got a lot of time for, for, for Chris um, yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I think I
0: think they've been I think the, the, everything unfortunately, I think tracks back to that horrible, horrible period of time post 2010 where, mm. where the, the legs were kicked out from under policing. And uh, do I think it'll recover? Yes, I do because it has to. I don't yeah. think I don't think uh, more of the same or continuing on the same course and speed is uh, is possible or desirable. I think the political will, the the, the politics will start playing out, and well, they already are, aren't they? The public are starting to feel thoroughly pissed off at the poor levels of yeah. service they're getting from the police. Victims of crime aren't getting satisfaction. Um, you know, uh, I did. I did hear the suggestion that uh, in the autumn statement there's going to be policing and crime is going to become much more prominent uh, priority for government. So that's encouraging. But um, at the moment, there are so many it feels that there are so many things that are, that need fixing. Um, yeah. That it, it makes your head hurt thinking about it. You know.
1: You're right, and, and I'll, I'll finish on a positive note, although it might seem strange that I'm using the word positive, is um, obviously and we've both experienced a number of, of, in our time, police officers who have died in line of duty. Mm. Um, Yvonne Fletcher was with my time. Jim Morrison, uh, who, who died in the early 90s, got stabbed. The um, Matt Rattana, the, the, the sergeant from Croydon, who is was... Um, yes,
0: yes unbelievable.
1: I can't people. think I can't think it's a unique set of circumstances. I can't remember that sort of mm. incident happening in, in my time. yeah, but what what I saw was that the police family mm. really get it together, yeah, and you see yeah. it on social media, you see the events, you see the fact remembered, you see all the people coming together. Now that hasn't changed. That's yeah. something which, you know, and um, if I've got time to tell you, but my my sort of thing with that was um, my best friend from training school all the way through service, was a guy called John Watt. Mm. John Watt and I shared a flat together. He was father to my son, my eldest son. And he uh, went in. He was a DR on the anti-terrorist squad, and he went to the armory on the Sunday morning and shot himself dead.
0: Yeah, I was. I was actually on duty at Scotland Yard when he when he shot himself. Uh, oh, well, Tom. and so I I was I actually. Was there when it happened, not right. actually physically in the armory, but I was, I was, um, I was on duty that day at Scotland Yard, wow. so I remember it very well and I'm very sorry. And, but,
1: and, I, and I, I got the call. I got the call from, from the DS um, who worked with him, who I knew, who, who, who knew I who was best friend with John, told me to come to the yard. I remember coming to Scotland Yard, Victoria on that morning, not knowing what happened. And you walked in and you knew something had happened. Just yeah. the people in corners. I got taken up to the state superintendent told. Um, I had to go to uh, Barnes where his wife, of his family home was, mm. to tell his wife, Sue, I don't know, et cetera. And just the outpouring of support and, and coming together
0: mm.
1: is similar to what uh, Matt Motana had. And yeah. I remember we, we had a the drink afterwards, as you do with rugby songs and bits and pieces and his, his wife sorry his wife, his sister and his mum all said, This is what John John would love being here. And yeah. it was just that come together and we still yeah. meet quite regularly. Yeah. That's something which I think it's band bonds the police together. Yeah,
0: I don't think it'll ever go away. And I I, I think it's so. I think it's the best job I think, you know, to be to be you know, end on a positive note. I, I think it's the best job in the world. It's it's there's no other job I would I would rather have done um, than be a police officer. I still feel fiercely loyal to the police service and always will do. Um, It just grieves me. It it grieves me to see it going through such a difficult time at the moment. But do I think things will improve? Yes, I do. And I think they have to only because they have to. Yeah. You know, but anyway, listen, probably not a bad time to to call a day there. But uh... I've
1: rumbled on a bit there. but.
0: Tom, listen, mate, that was absolutely brilliant. Fascinating. My God, I could have you on for three or four podcasts. There's so much stuff there, isn't there, that you could dive into. Um, but this is the thing that's a great, great joy about doing this podcast is meeting people like you and, and hearing your stories yeah. and hearing a different perspective as well. And hopefully hearing what you had to say there about the direct entry detector thing will give some people some pause for thought. And if any of those direct entry detectors are listening to this, I just want to say, um keep your chins up um yeah. i think you're probably i take my hat off to you for doing what you're doing um i i'm under no illusion how difficult it probably is at the moment but i'm confident that things will
1: yeah get better yeah. because they have to yeah. absolutely and i support that 100 and they're they're great people and, and they're you know they're um and they deserve a bit more yeah definitely
0: okay. listen my friend Thank you. I'll add you to the very long list of people to buy a beer for.
1: <laughs> there we go, mate. Yeah. I'll hold you to that. And will be um, great. I hope to see you soon, yeah.
0: Bless you. All right. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Okay. Good luck. Bye bye. Bye bye. 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 He was often in our street. We used to smile and wave at him while walking on his beat. But now we never see him. It really makes us frown. No longer do we feel that we're the safest street in town. Oh. Ooh, 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 <laughs>